the last several months when I've been praying and, and thinking and just asking God for wisdom and for his guidance on, on upcoming preaching series for now in August and into the fall as well, I, I had one, one topic that just was impressed on my heart, and that's the topic of sanctification. I know it's a really big word, but we'll talk about the next few weeks, and it won't be nearly as scary as it is for me to just say that here up front. But this, this topic of being sanctified was just impressed on my soul. And I thought to Ephesians 1, verse 4, where it says that he, of course being God, he chose us in him for the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. So God chose us. He loved us. And he sent Jesus to save us before the world even existed for a specific purpose. It wasn't random. It's going somewhere. All of human history, the God he here predestined is that we should be holy and blameless before him. And so you and I, as redeemed people of God, what we have is a destiny. And our eternal destiny is to be holy. And you see it in the Old Testament, and you see it played out, and then you see it fulfilled in the New Testament with Christ and ultimately with us, the people of God. You see in the Old that God chose a particular people. Out of all the nations, God made a people that he chose, not because they were impressive, not because they were holy, because they weren't. They were weak and insignificant, and yet God chose a people to be his people that would worship him together that would enjoy his presence with first the tabernacle, later temple, and now today with the indwelling of the Spirit in us, the temple. So that his people could then reflect his glorious character to the world, and his character is holy. So he has made us to be holy. And so as we just sung, God's fundamental nature, at its essence, God is holy means that he's completely set apart from all of creation. It means that God stands alone. He has no equal. He's unique. He's one of a kind. He has no rival. He is completely good and pure and excellent and amazing. God's holiness defines who he is. And so God, this is important, God defines holiness. Think about it. God is not holy because he keeps the law. God doesn't keep the rules and that makes him holy. No, 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 no. The law is holy because it reveals the character of God. And so God defines holiness. His holiness is his absolute purity, his divine essence. Think of it this way. His holiness is his infinite value. That is who God is. And we, as his people, have been, as we just saw in Ephesians 1, we have been predestined to share in God's holiness. And then in that holiness that is God's that he then shares with us, in that holiness we are able then to see him, to celebrate him, and to enjoy his presence for all of eternity. Because there's only joy in the presence of God. Away from God's presence, there is no joy. And what we get right here on this side of heaven is a foretaste of things 
to come as we're being made holy and we can praise him, celebrate him, enjoy him, and become more holy. When we use the word sanctification, it's a big word, but it ought not scare you. Understand what we're talking about. Sanctification, the word sanctify, simply means to make holy or to treat as holy. That's what the word means. And so sanctification is, is the process of becoming holy. Now, if the word holification existed, then we could use the word holification. But in English, the word doesn't exist. And so we could adopt it in our own little church, I mean, like a cult, and have our own, but we're not going to do that. That's weird. We're going to use real English words because, quite honestly, language is shared verbal symbols. And so if you don't share it, then it's not part of language. It's gibberish and it's not helpful. So we're not going to use our holification. It's not a real word. So the word sanctification, that's what it means, to make holy. So today we're beginning a series that will last a few weeks, a series called Becoming. So over the next few weeks, we're going to consider, we're going to really focus on becoming who God has made you to be. And we're going to consider this by looking at Colossians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Colossians chapter 3. This one magnificent chapter, and really is it magnificent, that we'll look at slowly throughout the next few weeks. Really shows us how we can become who God has made us to be. Holy. Let's begin by reading Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. The first paragraph that we'll look at together this morning. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen. Profound, brief but profound. Let's look at the main idea that we're considering this morning. So the primary thought from this text is that sanctification is not optional for those who belong to Christ. Sometimes we can think that you have the option, well, I'm a Christian, and so now growing being more holy might be an optional thing. No, it's not. We see in this text many imperatives, commands. It's saying sanctification is not optional for those who belong to Christ. So this text is making it clear that as members of the kingdom of God, he expects us to grow in our faith, which means growing in our personal holiness. It's not optional. And this applies to me. With the last 24 hours that I've just had, more 36, it's been a really difficult last 36 hours. We're, we're in Texas, and we're sitting by the family, and it's really emotional, and everyone's crying because we're not going home next summer because this is home, so we're not going to the U.S. next summer. So they're all sad. When are you coming home? And I'm like, I already am home in Abu Dhabi. And come, come visit us in the sun. You'll love it. And so I've had a few takers, not many. Hope to see more this year. Come see this remarkable place. So it's as emotional as it is saying bye to their, their new grandchildren. And so then we, we get on the plane and almost 15 hours with twin one-year-olds. That's all you have to say. It's, it's, it's quite challenging. And then, of course, you arrive and you haven't slept. 
And so you're just so tired. Just last night, arrived just last night in Abu Dhabi. It was awesome. Um, and so then I had to preach today. So I was up late till after midnight, just kind of getting my thoughts together and praying. And, and then I go to print my notes, you know, so I'm not rambling with you guys here on a Friday morning. Um, and my printer wouldn't work. And it was after midnight. It was like 1230. And so I couldn't go to the print shop because it closed at 1130. Um, so I'm thinking, well, who can I call? But everyone's asleep. Like, I don't want to call anyone to go with the flash drive to go print something, you know. And so I'm thinking, you know, I can't go buy a printer at this hour, and I have to preach in the morning. I'm kind of freaking out, and I can hear upstairs. My, my babies aren't sleeping. They're screaming, and I'm thinking, what's my wife doing up there? And so I finally get upstairs, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I, stood, I, I go to bed last night with this morning not knowing how I'm going to print my notes to preach, but trying to not be overly stressed about it. Um, and, and the twins have their first taste of jet lag. And so they did not sleep. Now, they screamed a whole lot. And throughout the, the nap, short one that I got last night, having to get up and try to calm them down. And they don't want to sleep because they're jet lagging. They're all messed up. And just feeling really frustrated and angry. And the back of my mind, how am I going to print my notes? And then they're preaching in the morning. And I'm not even sl- sleeping. And it was so frustrating. Finally, around 4.30, the twins fell asleep. And so I got up not long after that, not very much sleep, and just in my office, just praying, saying, God, I'm about to proclaim God's word to his people on being holy, and I need to respond well to this. I need to respond to this frustration, which in a lot of eternity is really quite small, not having much sleep overnight and having a, a malfunctioning printer is quite small. And yet, it's in those daily moments that when you turn to Christ and understand that we are called to be holy for our God in heaven is holy. And I'm calling people around at 6 in the morning, hey, can I use your printer? And finally someone was very gracious to print and bring it to my house at 7. And so I was very thankful uh, for a brother who did that for me. Sanctification is not optional for those who belong to Christ. It's not. And we have five truths we're going to look at from this text that show us how we can begin to live a life of becoming who God has made us to be. And these five truths, don't worry, each one's not super long. And you're thinking, oh, no, I've been gone for six weeks. I have to catch up, right? These five truths progressively build. They're like a stairway. And with each truth revealed in this text, it's building And it leads us higher up so that we can reach up and by faith, by trusting in Jesus through his spirit, we can really become the men and the women that God really has made us to be, which is set apart to reflect his glory. So truth number one is our sanctification is miraculous. So here's where it begins. The first step we have to build. The first one is, understand this, first truth. Our sanctification is a miracle. It's miraculous. Verse 1 says it. He begins by saying, If then you have been raised with Christ. Raised with Christ. So becoming a Christian is not choosing to adopt a religion. It's not. It's not saying, oh, there's all of these various options. I can be a Hindu or I can be a Buddhist or I can be a Christian. And I'm going to choose Christianity and follow the teachings of Jesus because I like Jesus. 
So I'm going to choose Christianity. That's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus is to be spiritually resurrected from the dead. If you've been raised with Christ. See, becoming a Christian is a profound spiritual event. And it involves being fundamentally, from the inside out, radically transformed, changed. Anything short of this profound spiritual resurrection is nothing more than playing religious games. That's what it is. And some of us in this room might be fooling ourselves, and we're just playing religious games. Following Jesus is a miraculous work of God. Being raised with Christ, being born again of his spirit, is no less miraculous than Christ being born of a virgin. No less miraculous than walking on water. No less miraculous than feeding 5,000. Or no less miraculous than Christ's resurrection from the dead. It is on the same level of miracle. And so when anyone repents from their sins and trusts with all their heart in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that is the work of God. That is a miracle. And it is the starting point for changing and becoming this holy person that God has predestined us to be. We must have the new birth, a new nature, new heart, made possible only through God's spirit. That received by faith, absolutely, but initiated by God. So there is a miracle of sanctification. Have you experienced it? Are you here in this room right now and and you realize that you really view Christianity as a religion, but you've never experienced the miraculous grace of God? You have no hope to experience true lasting change in your life unless you've been raised with Christ. And if we're attempting to be good people apart from doing it with the work of God, then we're no no different than people described in Colossians chapter 2 at the very end of the previous chapter. It's described, people that have the external, he says, appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. Listen, but of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so human, man-made religion, so appearing religious, says, has no value in changing your heart. It can't stop indulgence of the flesh. And so if you here today are playing religious games, and I encourage you to look in the mirror and ask yourself, have I ever truly repented and trusted in Christ and really experienced this miracle? Are you exhausted trying to maintain the appearances and maintain the appearance of religion when on the inside you know that you're enslaved to sin? The call to follow Jesus is not the call to try harder or be more religious. It's experiencing a profound, more glorious, more satisfying reality. What you need is a miracle. And it's available to you. And his name is Jesus. He's alive. And he offers us this miracle of the new birth. So sanctification begins with a miracle. So that's number one. The second step. So the first one is our our sanctification is miraculous. Number two, our sanctification is a command. So first, it begins with it's a miracle that God does. 
So God sanctifies. So secondly, as we build here, it's a command. You see it in verses 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, begins the sentence by saying, if. So he says, if. This is a since clause. So he says, if, and you have. So since you have experienced the miracle of this new birth, since, so in light of, that you have experienced God's miraculous grace, now do this. In light of that truth, now go and do this. And he gives two imperatives, two commands. There are two in this text. The first one, he says, seek, that's a command. Seek what? The things that are above. And then he says in verse 2, set, that's also an imperative, a command, set your mind on things that are above. So it's a parallel. And they're very similar. So set, seek the things that are above and set your mind on things that are above. Similar commands, but they're nuanced. They're different. Let's get the first one. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, the word here, seek, actually describes looking for something or striving with intense desire. This is not looking casually. Like when my daughter says, oh, I can't find my shoes. And I'm like, have you looked for them? Well, I can't find them. They're right next to her bed. I mean, those of you that are parents know what I'm talking about. It's like that's not intense striving and seeking with intense desire. But I have experienced that. I have had to seek for something intensely. I remember when I was in seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. It was my second year. I've been married for two years, so it was so fairly new. And I was playing American football. And I love playing football. And... I was playing, and then all of a sudden, I looked down, and my wedding ring was gone. And I was freaking out, man. I was like, oh, no. I lost my ring. I had fallen off. Now, I knew I was in trouble for two reasons. One, I lost my wedding ring. But two, the reason is that the ring was too big. And my wife kept not nagging, but very lovingly encouraging me to go to the jeweler and have it sized correctly. But I kept ignoring her, saying, oh, it's fine, it's fine. And then on this day, playing football, the ring flew off. I didn't know where it was. There's this big field, grass. This is Abu Dhabi, there's no grass, but there is grass in the U.S. And, and so, I mean, I love playing football, but I quit. I stopped playing football. I got kind of harassed, but I didn't care. And I was just walking, kind of in the way they're all playing. I didn't care. I was like, I'm not playing anymore. I'm out of the game. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for my ring. And so I was looking on my knees all over this big field. I was desperate. I needed to find it because going home empty-handed literally was not an option. I had to find that. I mean, I was thinking, can I, can, can I go buy a new one? Like, I had all these thoughts going through my head, and I thought, no, that's dishonest. If I've lost it, I'll be a man, and I'll say, sweetheart, you were right. I was wrong. Let's go buy a new ring. But then that was my wedding ring, and I couldn't believe, like an hour later, I found it, and I was so overjoyed. I've never been so happy to hold a little piece of jewelry as I was on that day. Let me tell you, when the word says here, seek the things that are above, we are commanded with earnest, with intense desire 
to seek after, to look for what? He says, Christ, who's at the right hand of God. So we're told to strive and intensely, just like I wanted that ring, I needed to seek it so bad. We are commanded to seek and to really desire to say, it's not an option to not find this. I will find this. Find what? Glory. The power. The honor. The beauty of Jesus. It's at the right hand of God. The right hand of power. Intensely desiring more of Christ's presence and his glory manifested in your life. Do you desire Christ with a striving and an intense desire? Or is it a flippant, casual, Friday morning reality for you? Seek the things that are above. Second command. He says in verse 2, set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. So we're told here to focus our thoughts on Jesus, to focus our thoughts on his glory and his presence and his kingdom. And so sanctification begins with our mind. That's where it begins. And so growing in our faith and having more of Christ's character, being more holy, This becoming who God's made you to be is a battle for the mind. And we see here a picture of what it looks like for someone who is really growing in their personal holiness. It's his thoughts, his desires, and his actions are being conformed to that of Christ. So on this side of heaven, no, it's not a holy perfection, but it is a holy direction. And so is your life on a path that you can say with sincerity, not perfection, but with integrity, to say my life is on a path where I'm seeking the things above, where I've set my hope, my desire, my affections, I'm setting it on things above and not things below. Remember, being sanctified is not optional for those that are following Jesus. We're commanded here. These are imperatives. These are commands to pursue spiritual growth, which is demonstrated in how we think, speak, and live. The call to follow Jesus is a call to be more like him. But let's just be honest. I know this is not to me who thinks this. Sanctification is really a mystery, isn't it? It is for me. Like, I read these texts like I have all this week, and I'm on vacation, and still trying to focus on the Word, and it really is a mystery. And so this first truth here is that it's a miracle. And so God regenerates. He makes us born again of the Spirit. He sanctifies, but then we're told to do it. So it's like God is doing it. God does the miracle, and yet we're commanded to do it. So it's both. That's kind of mysterious. How, how does God command us to do something that only his spirit can do? How does sanctification actually work in daily life? We need to keep climbing for the next step. Number three, our sanctification is a lifelong process. So it's a miracle that God does. It's a command that we're told to pursue. Number three, it is a lifelong process. So we're called to continue to seek and to desire the glorious things from above. It's not a one-time thing. 
It's not as if setting your mind on things above is a one-time thing. Okay, check, I did that, I'm good now. No, it's an ongoing daily reality. So this command to grow is a lifelong journey and a process. But don't miss is that we are commanded to pursue sanctification, but on the basis of something. It's, it's rooted in, founded on the reality in verse 3. He says, for you have died. So he gives a command, set your mind, seek the things above. For, based upon the fact that you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. So what does this mean that we're commanded to to pursue sanctification based upon the fact that we have died? That is kind of mysterious, but this is what it means. The only reason that we even can pursue the process of becoming more holy, more like Christ, is because we have died and been united by the Spirit of God to Christ. If you're in this room and you are a believer in Jesus, you have died. Listen, there's no exceptions. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you have died says in verse 1 that we've been raised spiritually with Christ, but first we died. The old you is dead. And so on the cross, your old self that we'll look at more next week and the week after that, old self and new self in Colossians 3, so that's just you know where we're going. This old self, your old you, died on the cross with Christ. So crucified spiritually with Christ is the old you. The old you that was very manipulative, that tried to control people to get your own purposes, yeah, that you, that person died on the cross with Jesus. You know that you that's always angry? You know, you know that you that gets really frustrated at 3 in the morning when you can't sleep and you have to preach in a few hours? That, that me was crucified. With Christ on the cross. You know, you know that you that gets filled with bitterness died on the cross. That you that lived for sexual or other sensual pleasure or other fleeting pleasures of this world, that person is dead, nailed to the cross with Jesus and no longer lives. And so Our our love for this world was dealt a death blow by the Holy Spirit. And so you die to the things of this world, but we're alive in Christ, been resurrected. And so through his Holy Spirit, we who have died, the old man, the old self is dead. And now we have the power through the Spirit to walk in victory and to pursue and become who God has made us to be. Now we'll talk more in the next few weeks and what this looks like in daily life as the text unfolds and explains that more. It even talks about how it works as fathers and husbands and so forth in daily life. So we'll, we'll examine that, but this is just a foundation today. God delights in seeing you grow. When little by little, slowly at times, we begin to grow in this process, ongoing process of sanctification. 
And like a father who delights in watching his small child grow up, God delights in seeing us grow up spiritually. He enjoys it. He finds such joy in you. You have to hear this today. God delights in you. And he wants you to delight in him. Seeking the things that are above. Setting your eyes on him. Because you've died. And you're united to Christ. You have his spirit living in you. And so when you hold on to God's promises in the middle of the uncertainty, when you're holding on in the middle of the pain or the frustration, God is so glorified, he's so pleased. When he sees you slowly but surely overcoming those sinful patterns, he is so glorified and pleased. God is committed to your holiness. It's a miraculous work that he is doing. And so his spirit is fully engaged in bringing your life to its appointed, predestined destiny of holiness. He is engaged fully in making that happen in your life. However, this is important to maintain this tension Just because God is fully committed to making you holy, that does not remove or minimize our responsibility to also fully engage ourselves in the sanctification process. That brings us to the fourth truth as we keep building here. Number four, our our sanctification requires daily engagement. So we've seen that it begins with the work of God. He's the one that does it. We're commanded to do it. Have to do it. We have to engage in it. Here's we see number four. Our, our sanctification requires daily engagement. Let's read verses three and four. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. These verses show us exactly what we must focus on as we daily engage in our growth in holiness. We see here, and I'll give you just some thoughts and then we'll look more carefully. There are three specific truths here that you need to focus your mind on daily. And you see it here on the screens. The first one is, next slide, who you were. And so focus your mind daily on, there you go, one more. Who you, no, not yet. One more. There you go. Focus your mind on who you were. He says, you have died. So what he's saying here is that you're now a new person in Christ. The penalty and the power of sin is broken. You're no longer enslaved to that sin. The chains are broken. We are no longer who we used to be. We have a new nature. God is now with you and in you and for you. And so you have to remember who you were before. Number two, next one here is who you are. Currently, he says, your life is hidden in Christ. You have the presence of God. You are united to him. You're in him. And so we now have union with Jesus. And he will strengthen, he will sustain you and help you when temptation comes. So remember, remember your identity. You are a son or daughter of the king, redeemed, forgiven with the Spirit. You can overcome that temptation with the power of God. 
in community. Remember who you are. The next one is who you will be. Daily focus on who you will be. It says, when Christ who is your life appears, when he comes back, then you also will, it doesn't say may, it doesn't say hopefully, it doesn't say if you do enough, if you're good enough, it doesn't say that. When Christ who is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. It will happen. This should give us so much hope that there is future glory that awaits us. And I love this phrase, Christ who is your life. Is Jesus your life? Or is he just like an add-on on the side? Is he your everything? Is he the air that you breathe? He is supposed to be our life. And he's going to come back one day, and we'll see him as he is. And this process of sanctification will be completed, and that is known as glorification. So what God began with justification in declaring you not guilty, innocent, he began by justifying you. You are now being sanctified daily, and one day it's going to end when you will be totally and completely made holy. Are these statements true of you? Of who you were, who you are, who you will be? If you've not trusted in Christ, sadly, friends, these truths are not yours to claim. And yet, if you will give your life to Christ today, then you can claim these. Several years ago when I was serving in Texas, I had a young man that I'd been counseling he was just really lost in his sin and very grievous sexual addiction. And I saw him come to faith in Christ. I, I baptized him and was discipling him. And I saw just tremendous growth and transformation in this young man's life. And then sometime later, I, I remember he called me one day on the phone. And he was just feeling really tempted to go back to his old life and go back to his old friends and old lifestyle. And I said very clearly, I was trying to be loving, but still firmly. I said, that's not you anymore. That's not who you are anymore. That, that you that used to do that, he's dead. Remember who you were. Remember who you are. You're alive in Christ. You have eternal purpose. And what awaits you in the future is future glory. It's not who you are anymore. You don't have to do that. You don't have to give in to that. There's hope. There is. We must focus, like we sang, keeping our eyes on Jesus, remembering who we were and who we are and who we're going to be. Sanctification really is a mystery. It's a miracle, as we're saying, where God calls and then we respond. This is is critical. Hear me. This mystery, let me give you some examples. Hopefully you can connect these dots, okay? As you kind of wrap things up here pretty soon. It's a mystery where God calls, he makes a miracle, and then we respond and actually do it. Like we act, we act out, we do. We accomplish the miracle. So, for example, Jesus opens the eyes of the blind. Is that a miracle? I would say yes, it is. 
So Jesus touches the blind man. He does a miracle, but then the blind man does the scene. And then you have Jesus goes to the deaf man, touches his ear, does the miracle, but then that man does the hearing. He goes to the man who's crippled and says, get up, take up your mat and walk. There's the instruction, there's the command, do this, there's a miracle, and the man responds by standing up and walking. Jesus calls to the grave and says, Lazarus, come forth. He does the miracle, he gives a command, and then Lazarus walks on his own two feet, out of his own willpower, he walks out of the grave. And God speaks to you, and he says, be content with who you are and what you look like and how much money you have. And you look at your finances and you're content. And you respond with giving generously, tithing and giving money away and being a generous person. God gives you love and compassion and mercy. He does that miracle in your heart and then you respond by forgiving the unforgivable. He speaks a miracle, and he commands you to be satisfied in his presence and in his glory, and you see more value in Jesus. This is a miraculous thing. And then we respond by walking away from alcohol, walking away from pornography or other fleeting pleasures. He does the miracle, and we respond, and we act. And you see this beautiful, glorious tension of God calls, and we respond. And he gets all the glory for our sanctification. He is miraculously calling us and desires for us to set our minds on things above, seek the things earnestly, desiring the things above and responding with obedience. And so we use our will to act. And that acting is evidence of the miracle. Hear me. When we act, when we obey, that is evidence of the miracle. When someone has no evidence, there's no walking, no seeing things above, you have to ask, is there a miracle? Have you experienced a new birth? Maybe not. I don't know. I don't look at hearts, and I'm thankful that I don't. I'm just a messenger. But we need to take this seriously. Following Jesus leads to transformation. Period. That's the nature of salvation. He changes us. So are we engaged, our minds, in our sanctification? Focusing daily. Reading his word. Meditating on it. Praying. If we're not doing that, then we have no hope of seeing lasting change. So sanctification, number one, the first step is it's a miracle. Two, it's a command. Three, it's a lifelong, ongoing process that will be completed after we die and are resurrected. Four, we must daily engage in it. Five, as we complete this stair step, our sanctification is ultimately assured. It's ultimately guaranteed. God will complete your sanctification. It's bigger than you or me. It's about his glory. Some days, you're going to feel so defeated. 
Some days you feel like, I, I don't see any growth. I don't see any generosity. I don't see any victory. There are some days that you're going to be more tempted than others. Some days are frustrating or depressing. Some days you just wonder, man, what am I doing? You have hope. Don't give up. Don't you dare give up. There absolutely is hope. We keep fighting the good fight until God calls us home. And one day, it'll be complete. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Our God is faithful. Faithful to help us, to sustain us. And he's given us a faith family to be there to encourage us as well and to love us. That's what we are. We're a hospital for the sick. And together, by the Spirit of God, we're being healed to reflect his glory more. So we continue to walk by faith, trusting Jesus, looking to him, begging him to help us to be better displayers of his glory because there is a world here that is desperate for him. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for giving us the privilege this morning of being able to look at your word, to be so encouraged and yet so challenged by it. Thank you that you have predestined us to be holy, And you command us to engage in it, but your spirit helps us. We can't do this alone. Thank you for not asking us to. It would be impossible. It would be suffocating. Thank you for the promise that one day when your son, our life appears, we will appear with you in full glory. We thank you for the hope of what's to come. Help us to keep our eye focused on you so that we can continue to become who you have made us to be. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.